Political Thoughts with Steve is brought to you by Anchor. Go to anchor.fm today to start your free podcast or download the Anchor app from all major app stores. And welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. I am your host, Stephen Murphy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of my political nerds out there in podcast world. I hope everyone's having a great week. We are finally back from a long month off vacation. Yes, sometimes you need to get away, refresh your brain, especially in this political climate. Sometimes it gets so stressful, and plus with life's individual stresses, you know, just sometimes you need to concentrate on yourself and your mental health. And that's what we have done in the last month, just to take a break from everything. But guess what, everyone? We are back. We are back, back, back. And we are excited to be able to come through your devices right now and have an amazing episode lined up for all of you political nerds and all of you new political nerds out there in podcast world and all the new fans that have joined Twitter and our Instagram page over the last month. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody. So this week's episode, we have a pretty good episode lined up. We are going to be talking about the 2020 election and we are going to be shining a spotlight on Mayor Pete Pete Buttigieg, and I'm pretty sure that I just butchered that last name, but you know what? He always says that. Everyone pretty much butchers his last name, so we're just going to call him Mayor Pete. We are going to be shining a spotlight on Mayor Pete. We are going to pretty much tell you about him, you know, what he stands for, where he's from, his background, all that slapjack crack like him. We're going to give you all some education on Mayor Pete, um, you know, I do love to educate my listeners and to, you know, give some different perspectives. So we're going to be shining that spotlight on Mayor Pete in the first segment. Our main topic tonight, we are going to be talking about abortion. Yes, abortion. You know, this is a topic that we talk about a lot on this show. This is a topic that, you know, you always hear every two to four years during election season. But the reason why we're talking about it is because I have a major opinion on the shit that has came out of Alabama in the last week involving abortion rights. And it's not just Alabama. It's five other states that have passed bogus anti-abortion legislation. And a lot of y'all have been messaging me and friends of mine who are also fellow podcasters have been texting me, asking me, so what do you think about this? And you know what? It's time to actually answer that question. So I am going to be telling you guys exactly what I think about what's going on right now within our amazing country involving abortion, women's rights, women's health care, women's reproductive rights. We are going to be covering that in our main topic. Also, um, on Polytalk this episode, we're going to be talking about the Electoral College. There is a huge movement right now going on, especially within us millennials involving the Electoral College, that we want to get rid of the Electoral College, that the presidency should be determined by popular votes and not by telling 
members of the Electoral College, this is who we want you to vote for. So we are going to be talking about the Electoral College. And finally, for final thoughts with Steve, during this uh, during this episode, we are going to be talking about Memorial Day. Yes, it is Memorial Day weekend for everyone. And many of you may not know what we actually celebrate for Memorial Day. So we are going to be talking about that. So sit back and relax. Hope you have a cold drink in your hand. I have my glass of whiskey right here. I have $100 in the swear jar. And we will be right back for our first topic of discussion here on this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. And welcome back to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. First topic of discussion, we are going to talk about the 2020 general election. Now, as many of you all know, when it comes to the Democrat side, there's like a million people running for president. I mean, there is a lot of people. And finally, you know, Joe Biden you know, announced a month ago he's been touring the country, as well as his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kamala Harris, and a lot of others are going all over the country trying to convince all of us who is going to be the right one to vote for for the 2020 general election against President Orange Pill Donald Trump. But this week, we're going to be talking about Mayor Pete. Yes, Mayor Peter Paul Montgomery Buttigieg. And once again, if Mayor Pete is listening to my podcast, which will be super cool if he did, um, yes, I am so sorry for butchering your name, but as you said last week during the Fox News town hall debate or town hall discussion, everyone pretty much butchers that last name, so we're just going to call you Mayor Pete. So, Mayor Pete, or Peter um, Buttigieg, is the current mayor of South Bend, in Indiana, he has been mayor since 2012. Now, many of y'all may not know who this man is, and if you don't, don't worry. I didn't either like two months ago. In fact, I was like, who is this mayor who is, you know, polling at less than 1%? Who is this guy? And you know what? Being, you know, someone who was excited that Bernie was running and... Joe Biden was running and Warren was running. I didn't pay attention to him. And you know what? That's my fault. I should have paid attention to him just as much as I pay attention to all the other 15 candidates that is currently running for president. Um, so here's a little bit about Mayor Pete. So um, he was elected mayor of South Bend in the November 2011 election. He won with 74% of the vote. And he took office at the age of 29, becoming the second youngest mayor in South Bend, Indiana history. He is also the youngest mayor of a U.S. city. Or U.S. city. Oh boy, the the whiskey's starting to talk. Um, he's the youngest mayor of a U.S. city with at least 100,000 residents, which is pretty cool. Um, this guy. Um, he was in the United States Navy Reserve. Go Navy. He is a Afghanistan war veteran. Um, he is one of the first openly gay mayors in the country. 
And he is also the first openly gay presidential candidate, which is pretty cool because now I believe that our nation is at a time when everybody, black, white, gay, straight, anybody who is a U.S. citizen should be able to run for president. And it is absolutely awesome to see our generation, the millennial generation, you know, the quote-unquote lazy generation, finally stepping up to the plate and getting involved in current politics. And it's really cool. Um, at first, I didn't know what this guy was about, but after I started doing research on him and everything, um, eventually... I became a fan of his, just like I became a fan of Joe Biden's and a fan of Bernie Sanders and Warren's and Harris's. Um, I'm not really a big fan of Cory Booker. That is not, you know, a surprise to anyone. All of you that have listened to my show for over a year now, you all know I'm not that big of a fan of Cory Booker. I think he, you know, thrives on controversy. I think that the only time he actually gets in front of a camera, if there's a controversial bill that's appearing before Congress, I just he just rubs me the wrong way. I'm not a fan of his. Um, but I started researching uh, Mayor Pete. Um, he was valedictorian of his uh, high school at St. Joseph in South Bend. Um, he was the recipient of the first prize for the JFK Profiles Encouraged Essay Contest awarded by the John F. Kennedy Library in Boston. He met Caroline Kennedy and other members of President Kennedy's family there. Um, he also met Congressman uh, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, only or one of the only two independent politicians in Congress. Um, he studied Harvard, majoring in history and literature. He was president of the Harvard Institute of Politics Student Advisory Committee and worked on the Institute's annual study of youth attitudes on politics. He wrote his undergrad thesis on the influence of Puritanism on U.S. policy. It was reflected in Graham Greene's novel, The Quiet American. Upon graduating from Harvard in 2005, Buttigieg was awarded a Rhodes Scholarship. Yes, he is a Rhodes Scholar, everybody. And for those who don't know about Rhodes Scholars, that is a very prestigious thing to have is a Rhodes Scholar or to be awarded a Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, he received his Bachelor of Arts degree in first class honors in philosophy, politics and economics from Oxford University, which is or, or I'm sorry, Pembroke College in Oxford, which is pretty cool. Um, after he graduated college, he worked as an intern at an NBC News affiliate. Um, he later advised a unsuccessful gubernatorial campaign. Um, he was a member of John Kerry's campaign team back in 2004. Um, he became an ensign in the U.S. Navy, trained to become a naval intelligence officer. Then he deployed for seven months in Afghanistan in 2014. And he left the service two years ago. He was a member. He was the Democrat Party nominee for state treasurer of Indiana. He was also, he was defeated by Republican incumbent by 37.5% of the vote. But currently, right now, he is in his second term as mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He won with 80% of the vote when he ran for mayor. Um, 
he has announced already that he will not seek a third term as mayor of South Bend. He was he ran for election in the 2017 DNC chair. Um, he built a national profile as an emergency dark horse uh, as an emerging dark horse in the race for the chairmanship with the backing of former DNC chairman Howard Dean and former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley. He campaigned on the idea that the aging Democrat Party needed to empower its millennial members, which I totally agree with. He withdrew from the race on the day of the election. And now he is running for president of the United States. So the question is, so what does he stand for? Um, you know, what what separates him from everybody else that is running for for the presidency for 2020. And to tell everyone the truth, I mean, there he is a fresh young voice in the Democrat Party. Um, an interview on MSNBC with, uh, I think it's called Talking Joe or Morning Joe. That's the name of it, Morning Joe. Um, Joe Scarborough said that Pete Buttigieg, he is the future of the Democrat Party. Even saying, you know, he may not win in 2020, but, you know, he is becoming a name now that he could run again in 2024 or 2028. You know, even though his polling numbers are low as of today, I think he is on to something. I really do. Um, you you just have to listen to him speak. And for all those who are, you know, actually interested in the candidates, not the ones who, you know, just say, well, Steve said I should, you know, vote for this guy. So, you know, I'm I'm going to vote for this guy, which I strongly suggest do not ever vote for someone because I told you to, your parents told you to, um, the guy on TV told you to vote for someone that you believe in, someone that matches your political views and matches what you believe the country should become within the future. That is the perfect person for you to vote for. I mean, regardless if it's a Democrat or Republican, um, just vote for someone, vote for someone that, that you can relate to. Um, but yeah, he, let's talk about him. Let's talk about some of his issues. Healthcare. Um, Medicare for all who wants it as a pathway to Medicare for all. He believes in universal healthcare. The healthcare system that is currently in place today is both unjust and un- inefficient. For the first time since World War I, life expectancy is falling. If you're uninsured, you're paying way too much for healthcare, which is true. If you're insured, you're still paying too much. This burdens hardworking families, especially in communities of color, the most. Other developed countries provide universal coverage for less than what Americans are currently paying, and with better results, the American people should not have to sell for less. Absolutely. Um, he's also for improved health care quality, invest in maternal and infant health, lower drug prices, making long-term care affordable, Invest resources in mental health and com- combat the opioid and methamphetamine or the meth, the meth addiction or epidemics that are currently going on within the United States today. Um, he is also for affordable higher education, debt-free college, which sounds like a Bernie Sanders idea to me. Um but you know what, Bernie, if it wasn't thanks for Bernie in 2016, I think that we would not have candidates 
today that are so open about universal health care, debt-free college, free college, um, private prisons, um, you know, just all the the new platform that the, that Democrats are over that are taking up now. We would not have that if it wasn't thanks for Bernie in twenty sixteen. That could be an arguable opinion, but that's my opinion. Um, we need to confront student loan debt, provide more support for students entering public service, ensure the highest degree of transparency and accountability for higher education institutions, apply strict standards to for-profit higher education institutions. He believes that the Department of Education needs to be fully funded, not the shit that Betsy DeVos is creating. Every time you see her name, you see that she wants to cut billions of dollars from education, cut billions of dollars from food programs, from after-school programs. The Wicked Witch of the West herself is against our education. Just let that sink in for a minute. She does not like public education. If you're a public school teacher, she hates you. She does not want you to get paid. She does not want your students to succeed. She is strictly for pro-private education institutions. Point blank. If you don't believe me, go research it. I encourage everybody to research Betsy DeVos. She may look like a sweet woman on TV, but she is a complete and arrogant bitch. Yeah, I, I said the B word. Oh, well, you don't like it? Tune out. She is a terrible person. At least we now have people running for president that wants to better public education. Public education is a huge investment. Right now, I have a friend who lives in Denver. She participated in the teacher strike for the Denver City School, um, for Denver City Schools, and now she's running for a position on the school board. And every time I get on Facebook and I see how her campaign is doing, I mean, really, it makes me really, really proud. If I lived in Denver. I would probably work for her. I would bust my ass every single day to get her elected because she genuinely cares about kids. She genuinely cares about education, about public education. And I'm sure that all of you teachers out there that listen to me, you all care about public education too. And it's sad that the Secretary of Education does not. But Mayor Pete does. He cares about public education. He believes that public education needs to be fully funded. Um, he also believes in consumer protections. Um, past strict regulations on predatory lenders, which I have. I actually had that discussion with my mom like a couple of days ago that we need to create laws that literally makes it illegal for lenders to charge you a thousand percent on a twenty dollar loan. I understand that you need to make some profit back on it, but come on, a thousand percent. I have a old grandmother who fell victim to loan sharks because she was having a really rough time paying bills and she's very stubborn to ask us for help. She got involved with those loan sharks and they were charging her like two, three hundred percent on like a thousand dollar loan. And it was unbelievable. So, but Mayor 
Pete is about very strict regulations on predatory lenders, uh, strengthen antitrust standards, protect your rights over your own data, revive the customer Consumer Financial Protections Bureau Enforcement Authority, and fight big data discrimination. He's also all about racial justice. He believes that we should invest in entrepreneurship and home ownership, eliminate health disparities, defend affirmative action and combat the opportunity gap, protect and expand voting rights, support self-determination of, in, of, of our Native American populations, redress inequality in our criminal justice system, dismantle the prison industrial complex to end the crisis of mass incarcerations. He's also for the decriminalization of marijuana and also passing legislation that would completely legalize marijuana because he believes that marijuana isn't the gateway drug that the Reagans wanted us to believe in in the 1980s. Marijuana is the drug that's easy to put black people behind bars. And that's exactly what he believes in. He believes in investing in our teachers, gender equality, uh, reproductive rights, organized labor, and of course, LGBT rights. This guy is a fresh voice. And this guy is exactly what our country needs. So if you are interested in Mayor Pete and you want to read up more on Mayor Pete, go to PeteForAmerica.com. That's PeteForAmerica.com. That is his official 2020 page and just click issues and you can read about all the issues that Mayor Pete cares about and what he's talking about. And also, if you haven't done it yet, I strongly suggest everyone get on YouTube and watch the Fox News town hall. And yeah, Fox News. But you know what? What struck me crazy about this town hall was that the moderator was fair. He asked tough questions, but he was very fair. And I give it to that moderator. He did a great job moderating that town hall and asking questions and also the questions from the audience. But go watch that town hall from Mayor Pete because I guarantee you, you will open your eyes to this candidate. And remember, please educate yourself on all the 2020 candidates so you can decide which one best suits your ideas and your beliefs. We'll be right back. A non-mom happy hour is the podcast that celebrates real ass human women, whether they use their baby box or not. Hosted by Kelly Nerdzilla Mendenhall and Debbie Jo Nelson, a non-mom happy hour is a safe space to talk about mental health, trauma, disordered eating, surviving, and self-care. We talk about it all while laughing as much as possible, because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. If you like to laugh, feel like you've never quite fit into most lady groups or podcasts because you're not a mom, or are a mom who needs a break from momming for an hour, you should come hang out with us. A non-mom happy hour, bringing healing through laughter and community. Streaming basically everywhere you could possibly want to find us. Remember, always be a real-ass human. To check out the podcast, visit anonmomhappyhour.com. And moving on, our main topic of discussion is the recent abortion laws that have been passed within the U.S. over the last month, including Alabama and Georgia and four other states that have passed very strict anti-abortion laws that restrict women's health care. Now, many of y'all have flooded 
my Twitter page and have also began to send messages on Instagram asking what is my opinion on this. Now, it's not a it is not a shock to anyone when I tell you that I am a strict die-hard fan of women's rights. I am an I'm an ally to women all over the country. I'm constantly giving my opinion on this and fighting for women's reproductive rights. I march. I do everything I can because I believe that women in this country are slowly but surely trying to be silenced when it comes to their reproductive rights. And it it just angers me. And I think the point happened when my home state of Alabama decided to pass a stupid fucking law that says that six weeks, any doctor that performs an abortion after six weeks or after a fetal heartbeat is detected can be put in jail for 99 years for manslaughter. And the moment it passed, I had friends of mine from all over the country in Tennessee, Michigan, California, New York, Florida, all over the country, texting me saying, did you hear this bullshit that Alabama did? And I shit you not, three hours later, it was all over the national news. It was all over the late night shows. It was on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And once again, Alabama became a joke. And I don't know about y'all. I know that around 60% of my listeners are from the U.S. Um, But I am sick and tired of watching a bunch of rich, old, white men make decisions regarding a woman's health, knowing that they have absolutely no idea what they are talking about because they are not women. Now, I have friends that are pro-life. I have friends that are pro-choice. I am... I'm in the middle. I believe that abortion should be an absolute last resort. But I also believe that we need to stop being... Those who tell me that they are pro-life, I think that they're just anti-abortion because all my pro-life friends, they're all about executions, they're all about letting kids starve, they're all about, you know, not, you know, defunding child health care programs all over the country. That's not really saying I'm pro-life, that's just saying I don't like abortions, and when that child is born, it's your problem, not mine. I'm sorry if that just pissed anyone off, but you know what, I really do not care. If you get easily offended, this is not the show for you. There is a lot of other podcasts out there that, you know, are politically correct that, you know, will give you a participation trophy. This is not that podcast. This is my thoughts. Hence the name of my podcast. So this is my thoughts on what's going on right now in women's health care and women's reproductive rights. Yes. Children should be protected. Children should be protected from 
from every sense of evil in the world. However, I believe in a woman's right to choose. I do not know the circumstances that that mother will have to go through before she decides to terminate a pregnancy. I don't know that. That mother could be on the verge of a mental breakdown, think about abortion, and at the last second, she may decide not to do it. But that is her choice. For those of you that are always saying abortion is wrong, I believe that it's more of a religious issue than anything else. But I don't see y'all marching on the streets trying to lower adoption costs when the average adoption costs a family twenty to $30,000 to be able to adopt a child. Does any of you guys have an extra twenty to thirty grand laying around? Because I know I don't. I'd love to adopt a child. But because of there's no laws in Alabama that has helped lower adoption costs, it is so hard to be able to adopt a child without going into debt for the rest of your life. And I know that sounds terrible. That sounds like there's a price for everything, but it's the truth. I don't see any of y'all marching on the streets demanding for lower adoption costs. I don't see any of y'all marching on the streets demanding that members of the LGBT community should have the right to adopt children and raise them in a loving home because, you know, quote, unquote, Gay parents make gay babies, which is the dumbest shit ever because all my friends that are gay came from heterosexual parents. I mean, it's so fucking stupid to hear that. And now here we are once again. We want to destroy Roe versus Wade. That is why these laws are passing in all these red states right now. It's because they know that the moment that's passed, the moment it's signed, and by the way, Alabama's law was signed by a woman governor, by the way, but you know what? Fuck Kay Ivey. She's old. She needs to go. This is why I'm I'm always excited when I hear that, you know, someone our age, a millennial, is coming up and ready to take on the stupid political establishment that has held our country hostage for way too long. She signs this law knowing that it's going to be challenged in all the courts and eventually the Supreme Court will hear this. They have to because it's going to be challenged by federal courts. And the moment that's challenged in a federal court, especially by a judge that was appointed by a Democrat president, the moment it is challenged and the Democrat president says no, this law goes up against Roe versus Wade. It has already been decided by the Supreme Court. I'm sorry, but that law is unconstitutional. It is going to go to the Supreme Court. And right now, the Supreme Court is majorly ran by Republicans that are pro-life and are probably bought by the alt-right Christian movement that have been trying to force this ideology of anti-abortion down our throats since the very beginning. And it kills me. It kills me because it seems like we are going way backwards. So now, 
the thought of back alley abortions are coming back up. Women that had to go through back alley abortions before Roe versus Wade was passed. Some women that went through these abortions that ended up dying from infections. Yet, 25 white Republican males in the state of Alabama passed a law that said that women can no longer have abortions after six weeks or after a heartbeat has been detected. So what does what what happens? Is the woman going to take a pregnancy test and see that she's pregnant but not tell her doctor? Are we going to start seeing women end up on the nightly news dead in the streets because they had another back alley abortion? Is this what we are now becoming? Shame on the GOP. And to make no sense at all, this law that Alabama passed, there's no exceptions to those of incest or rape. If you're having a child because Uncle Frank molested you and you're pregnant, tough shit, you're on your own. If you've been raped in an alley and you get pregnant, tough shit, you're on your own. That is exactly what this law is is saying. And to me, I don't know about any of y'all, but to me, it's saying, fuck women, your opinions no longer matter. Your bodies now belong to the government and we can and we will tell you what to do when it comes to to your bodies. And for a party that kept saying that the government needs to stay out of our way, they have absolutely no problem with the government coming into your private lives telling you what you can and cannot do when it comes to your own health. This pisses me off. I don't know about any of you female listeners. I'm hoping that it pisses you off also because this is your lives. This is your health care. I'm encouraging every single body who listens to this show to start harassing your politicians, calling them fucking idiots, telling them how pissed off you are because they do not care about your right to choose. They don't even care about the damn fetus after it's born. They only care about when it's inside the womb. But the moment, the moment, That is born, it's someone else's problem. If you don't believe me, go ask a white Republican. Ask them the question, if a black woman gets pregnant, does not want the child, what do you think should happen? And many of these old Republicans, and I know a few of them, will tell you, well, she shouldn't have gotten pregnant in the first place. Now they're going to cost us millions of dollars in health care. Now they are a burden. A child should never be a burden on anybody. But because Republicans are so hell-bent on pro-fetus, they want to save the fetus, but God forbid when the fetus is born, it becomes someone else's problem. It becomes someone else's issue. 
God forbid that. I mean, it's really sad. It really is sad. These people are not pro-life. They are anti-abortion, and you need to start knowing the difference. If they were pro-life, they would constantly be talking about how we need to lower the prices of adoptions, how we need to promote adoption, how we need to make it easier for LGBT couples to adopt children, to love children. You would hear that, but you don't. I was going down the interstate yesterday and I saw five billboards that literally said, Jesus knows what's going to happen. None of them were about adoption. I have not seen an adoption billboard in my part of Alabama in a long, long time. I've seen anti-abortion billboards, but never about adoptions. I called an adoption agency a few weeks ago to get some information on, you know, how much, how much would it cost to actually adopt a child that is currently in the foster care system? 25 to $35,000. If it's a newborn, you're looking at $50,000. If it's a teenager, you know, you kind of get a little bit cheaper on a teenager. I mean, first of all, children shouldn't have a monetary value. Children are children. I can understand the, you know, all the red tape someone has to go through to be able to adopt a child. You need to, you know, make sure you can provide for a child. You need to make sure that your home is a loving home, that you are fit to be a parent, that you're not going to you know, molest this child or hurt this child in any way. I understand the red tape. And then I said, well, what if I what if I was gay? Could I adopt a child? Oh, absolutely not. We do not allow gay parents to adopt children. And what's sad about this, and many of y'all are actually some of y'all are actually in or have degrees that, you know, relates to children and family counseling that actually look at these statistics. The older the child gets in foster systems, the worse it's going to be when it comes to that child finally being adopted. Because most parents just want babies. They don't want older children. And as soon as they age out of the foster system, they're thrown out on the street and that's it. They are society's problem. Many of them come from broken homes. Many of them, you know, come from parents who, you know, were on drugs that are battling all these different types of addictions. But there's no help for them. And in a state that claims that we are pro-life, we need to be pro-life. Also, I don't see anybody marching that are pro-lifers that wants to end the death penalty. I thought pro-lifers are all about we are for the sanctity of life from the beginning of, from the moment a fetal heartbeat is detected all the way up until that life ends. But I don't see y'all begging the state of Alabama to end the death penalty that takes away life. 
I don't see it. Do you? Women, I am going to continue to be your advocate on everything. The Me Too movement, healthcare, reproductive rights, I will be your strongest advocate. I believe that women should always have an ally. I think we as males need to be allies for women. We need to stand beside them, call politicians out on their bullshit, protect healthcare rights for every single man, woman, and child in the United States and around the world. Shame on Alabama, shame on Tennessee, shame on Georgia, shame on Nevada. Shame on every single state in this country that has decided that a woman's right does not matter. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So, welcome to Poly Talk. This is my favorite segment because, as everyone knows, I have a degree in political sciences. And the fun thing about having that degree was the many college courses I had to take when I was going for my undergrad degree. And we had to go through different courses like Politics 101 and uh, con- Constitutional Law, which was actually my favorite class that I got to take because we get we got to review court cases and everything. I mean, it was it was fun in college when I was a poli sci major. Um, and then when we, you know, started to really mature this podcast, we were like, all right, we're going to do this week in Trump. But then it dawned on me that almost every topic that we discussed was about Trump. So I wanted to shake it up a little bit and create poly talk, which is like an educational thing where we're talking about, you know, different things in politics that you know, you may not know about. So this week, we're going to talk about the Electoral College. Now, right now, there's a movement going on throughout the entire United States involving the Electoral College. Should the Electoral College finally just be destroyed and we elect presidents based on the popular vote? Now, if it was, Hillary Clinton would be the current president of the United States because she beat Donald Trump in the popular vote. Um, But unfortunately, that did not come into fruition. We have an electoral system in this country which actually separates us from being a true democracy because in a true democracy, everything is voted by the popular vote. In fact, it's crazy because everything, every election from the governor all the way down or from state representatives to members of Congress, the Senate, down to state governors, to school board is all determined by a popular vote. The presidency is the only thing that is not determined by the popular vote. So here's some education on the electoral system. It is a body of electors established by the Constitution, constituted every four years for the sole purpose of electing the president and vice president of the United States. The college consists of 538 electors, and an absolute majority of 270 electoral votes is required to win an election. 
Going to Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, the legislature of each state determines the manner by which its electors are chosen. Each state numbers of electors is equal to the combined total of the state's membership in the Senate and the House. Currently, there are 535 members of Congress. That's 100 senators and 435 members of the House of Representatives. Additionally, a 23rd Amendment provides that the District of Columbia is entitled to a number of electors no greater than that of the least populous state, which is three. Following the national presidential election in the first week of November every four years, each state counts its popular votes pursuant to the state's laws to designate presidential electors. Almost all states allot all their elector votes to the winning candidate in that state no matter how marginal the candidates win. State electors meet in their state capitals in December to cast their votes. The results are certified by Congress during a joint meeting of the House and the Senate, which is actually kind of cool to watch, um, especially back in 2000 when Bush won. There was a lot of reps that got up and went against what the election was. The problem is that they could not find a senator to sign any of their disagreements. So therefore they were told, shut up. They were told to sit down and shut up. Same thing happened during the 2016 election. In order for an objection to actually be rendered, you must have at least one senator sign that objection. And then you can have a debate on the House floor. The Constitutional Convention in 1787 used the Virginia Plan as the basis for discussions. As the Virginia proposal was the first, the plan called for Congress to elect the president. Delegates from a majority of states agreed to this mode of election. After being debated, however, delegates came to oppose nomination by Congress for the reason that it could violate the separation of powers. James Wilson then made the motion for electors for the purpose of choosing the president. However, once the college had been decided on, several delegates openly recognized its ability to protect the election process for cable corruption, intrigue, and faction. Some delegates, including James Wilson and one of our founding fathers, James Madison, preferred popular election of the executive. Madison acknowledged that while a popular vote would be ideal, it would be difficult to get a consensus on the proposal given the prevalence of slavery in the South. In the Federalist Papers, James Madison explained his views on the selection of the president and the Constitution. In Federalist Number 39, Madison argued the Constitution was designated to be a mixture of state-based and population-based government. Congress would have two houses, the state-based Senate and the population-based House of Representatives. Meanwhile, the president would be elected by a mixture of the two modes. Alexander Hamilton, which is one of our other founding fathers in Federalist Number 68, which if you have never read the Federalist Papers, you really should. It's really cool to read. Um, Federalist Number 68 laid out what he believed were the key advantages to the Electoral College. The electors come directly from the people and them alone from that purpose only and for that time only. This avoided a party-run legislature or a permanent body that could be influenced by foreign interests before each election. 
Hamilton explained the election was to take place amongst all the states, so no corruption in any state could taint the great body of the people in their selection. The choice was made by a majority of the Electoral College, as majority rule is critical to the principles of Republican government. This is why we are not a democracy, we are a constitutional republic. Hamilton argued that electors meeting in the state capitals were able to have information unavailable to the general public. Hamilton also argued that since no federal office holder could be an elector, none of the electors would be beholden to any presidential candidate. This comes from Article 2, Section 1. It says, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature therefore may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. But no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector, which means that no elected representatives can be an elector and be a member of the Electoral College. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 4 states that the Congress may determine the time of choosing the electors and the day on which they shall give their votes, which day shall be the same throughout the United States. And then you had the amendments of the Constitution that you know was more involved with the election or with the Electoral College. Um, there was what they call a general ticket. Uh, Alexander, descri Alexander Des Hamilton described the founding father's view of how electors would be chosen by saying a small number of persons selected by their fellow citizens from a general mass will be most likely to possess the information and discernment requisite to such implicated tasks. Then the 14th Amendment was established. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment allows for states' representation in the House of Representatives to be reduced if a state unconstitutionally denies people the right to vote. The reduction is in keeping with the pro proportion of people denied a vote. This amendment refers to the right to vote at any election for the choice of electors for president and vice president of the United States, among other elections, the other place of the Constitution mentioning electors being selected by popular vote. They meet. They meet during an open joint session of Congress, and they all vote. After the votes have been tallied, is then made official, it is certified, and a winner is announced during that live joint session of Congress. Each elector stands up from each state, announces how many votes will go to each candidate. That number is, there is a secretary in the House. That number is then jotted down. And it continues normally if it's a very controversial election like the 2000 election or the 2016 election. Objections can be raised, but if there's not a senator that signs on to that objection, that objection is not 
or that objection is voided out and that representative is told to sit down and shut up. Objections to the electoral vote count are rarely raised, although did occur during the vote count in 2001 after the close 2000 presidential election between George W. Bush and Vice President Al Gore. Gore, who was vice president, was required to preside over his own electoral college defeat. He was defeated by five electoral votes, denied the objections, all of which were raised by only several representatives and would have favored his candidacy after no senators would agree to jointly object. Objections were raised again in the vote count in 2004. On that occasion, the document was presented by one representative and one senator. Although the joint session was suspended, the objections were quickly disposed of and rejected by both houses of Congress. If there are no objections or all objections are overruled, the presiding officer, which is the vice president and the speaker of the house, but it's normally the vice president, simply includes the state's votes as declared in the certificate of vote in the official tally. There could be deadlocks. Section 3 of the 12th of the 20th Amendment specifies if the House of Representatives has not chosen a president-elect in time for the inauguration, then the vice president-elect becomes acting president until the House selects a president. Section 3 also specifies that Congress may provide for who will be acting president if there is neither a president-elect nor a vice president-elect in time for the inauguration. Under the Presidential Secession Act of 1947, the Speaker of the House would become acting president until either the House selects a president or the Senate selects a vice president. Neither of those situations have ever occurred. So if you don't have a president or a vice president, then the Speaker of the House of Representatives would become president temporarily until Congress can decide who will be the president and vice president-elect of the United States. So my question to everyone, after now you pretty much have a good description on what the Electoral College is, my question to everyone is this, should it be abolished? Now, some people believe we have a traditional constitution. Some people believe we have a living constitution, which means that we should add amendments to this constitution from time to time, in which amendments have been added. You know, you have um, African Americans being allowed to vote, women being allowed to vote, um, the passage of the 25th Amendment that regards, you know, if the president gets shot or the president's removed by his cabinet. You have different amendments added to the Constitution through time that, to me, specifies that our Constitution is a living document, that it can be changed. So should the Electoral College be changed? Should we become an absolute democracy, not a constitutional republic? And that is a very, very interesting question because some of you believe that, you know, we should keep the Electoral College exactly what it is. And some people believe that, you know what, we should go to a popular vote system. Now, I understand the arguments on the popular vote system, like, you know, cities like, or states that have like cities like New York or Los Angeles or Miami, 
with those major populated cities pretty much would determine who would become president of the United States. Also, you have states like California that has 56 electoral votes. It's crazy because back in the day, if any of y'all remember the old elections, like during the 90s and early 2000s, California was always that state that politicians that were running for president really wanted because it had 55 electoral votes. Now you have your swing states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, or not Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, Florida. You have those states that you really want to win. Remember, Trump won Florida but lost California, but because he got all the swing states, he won the Electoral College vote to become president. The only time that I can remember that this happens, that there is a huge movement to get rid of the Electoral College vote is when a Democrat loses to a Republican. Now, I don't want to say that, you know, that's what we do. We just bitch and complain every time we lose a race. But the only times I hear the argument to get rid of the Electoral College is after a Democrat has lost. So my question to everyone this week, and I want everyone to send me a message through this, which is really cool because now you can actually send messages on all of your podcast platforms to this show. I want everyone to send me a message and tell me what you think. Should the Electoral College be, or should we get rid of the Electoral College, or should we allow it to stay? And I want you to tell me why you think that way. So, there you go. There's our lesson on Electoral College. We'll be right back for our final segment. And welcome back to Final Thoughts with Steve. This week we are going to be talking about this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. But before we get into that, um, just some quick announcements. Um, you're listening to a new episode, so that means that we're back. Um, look at your uh, cell phone or look at whatever it is that you use to listen to our show. And make sure you click that um, click that button that says call the show or talk to the show or whatever. Just click that button. And leave us a voicemail. Tell us what you really think about our show. Things that you know we need to, things that we need to improve on. Um, things that you would like to see covered or hear covered. Um, we love doing interviews. So if you have a good idea and know someone that would love to be interviewed by us, please, by all means, let them know that we would love to interview you. Um, also, we are on our way to getting 2,000 followers on Twitter right now. I think last time I looked, it was around 1968, 1969, or followers that we currently have right now. Um, we are on our way to 2,000 followers, so make sure that you click that follow button on our official Twitter page, which is official PTWSTEV. Um, also, we have Instagram. We are now on Instagram, so make sure that you go to official PTWSTEVE. I think it's official PTWSTEVE, or just look up Political Thoughts with Steve on Instagram. You will go directly to our Instagram page, click that follow button, and you will be getting all the cool notifications whenever we 
send out the notifications for new show postings or random thoughts. We're actually going to start doing in the next coming weeks, like um, daily thoughts where we do like five minute segments about things that are going on. Um, and then posting them right here on our um, podcast page. Um, also, um, PodX is next weekend. We cannot wait to finally see some really cool pods that we have been interacting with throughout the last year. Um, we are really super stoked to hearing um, Nom Mom Happy Hour. They are doing a pod on that Sunday. They're doing a live podcast on stage next Sunday. We cannot wait to be right there in the front row and supporting these amazing, amazing women. There are so many podcasts that are going to be there and I cannot wait to meet everybody. Um, we will have t-shirts. Yes, we got t-shirts made. Um, a really good friend, friend of mine, Stony J from Denver. Um, I went to high school with a guy and he's actually my brother from another mother. Um, he made our show t-shirts with his company, Stony J um, T. So, we're going to be sporting those brand new t-shirts and probably have a couple of extra ones on us. So if you want a free t-shirt, just get with us and we'll be more than happy to hook y'all up. If we don't have any more, we will definitely hook you all up with his website. So we we can start ordering um, t-shirts and really cool things that comes with our show because you know what? We need some support. Um, we have a really cool fan base, but you know, we don't have like a Patreon or anything. So this is, you know, a good way to be able to support our show, to be able to help us buy some equipment, to upgrade some things, and to be able to bring some really cool, um, some really cool podcasting to all of you, our amazing political nerds out there. So, yeah, make sure that you go to Twitter and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. And also, here's final thoughts with Steve. So, Memorial Day weekend is upon us, and to many of y'all, that is just an extra day that y'all get to go to the beach or go to the lake or spend time with friends or family. To me, it's a little bit more than that because this is a day that should not just be one day. It should be every day of the year that we memorialize our brave men and women who made the ultimate sacrifices defending our nation. Um, it's a, it's a major deal to me because I had a couple of friends of mine that I went to boot camp with that that unfortunately passed away during Operation Iraqi Feet or Operation During Freedom when I was serving in the military. Um, and you know you're going to start seeing the American flags all over the place. So, what I ask all of you to do, regardless if you're patriotic or not, I want everyone to. Have a moment and just think about these brave heroes that have served our nation that lay down their life for this country because it's because of them the reasons why we have the freedoms that we have now. The reasons why we still have these freedoms now. Um, so just Honor their memory. Don't think of Monday as just another day. Actually, take a moment and think about these amazing people that lost their lives. Because someone out there 
listening right now lost someone to a war. Maybe you lost an uncle in Vietnam or your grandfather, great-grandfather was killed in World War II or Korea or you lost a brother in Iraq or Afghanistan or a sister in Iraq or Afghanistan. Someone out there lost someone and that hurt is still fresh. So let's come together and let's think about those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. I hope everyone has a great week and we will talk to everyone next week. Um, before we go, um, to honor our veterans, we're going to play taps. So if it's all right with everyone, let's observe a moment right now and pay tribute to those brave, brave men and women who've made the ultimate sacrifice. We'll talk to everyone next week. Hello, listeners. This is Kelly Nerdzilla Mendenhall, co-host of the podcast Anon Mom Happy Hour, and I am hopping on to tell you about my book. Skin in the Game, The Stories My Tattoos Tell is my debut as an author. In the book, I tell of the significant events and pivotal moments of my life by recounting the stories behind my eclectic collection of tattoos. When asked about my intended audience, I like to say that this book is written for anyone who's ever thought of giving up, anyone needing the inspiration to keep on fighting, and anyone who fears that they may be too far gone for redemption. Mine is a new take on the genre of autobiographies, with full-color photos of my tattoos and other illustrations accompanying each chapter. My pivotal life moments and the resulting lessons immortalized in my tattoos are captured with these full-color photographs alongside the moving text. Throughout the book, the reader witnesses my navigation and survival of life's most harrowing moments, the death of my father at the age of four years old, the physical and sexual abuse I endured as an adolescent, the gut-wrenching loss of friends who died too soon, my abortion at age 28, and my journey to solve the mystery of the sudden onset of debilitating chronic pain and loss of mobility at the age of 35. 
The CDC reports that 4.4% of adults ages 25 to 44 experience high-impact chronic pain in the U.S. Women are actually more likely to experience high-impact chronic pain than men. Approximately 8.9% of adult women experiencing acute chronic pain compared to approximately 7% of men. Further, patients like myself experiencing acute chronic pain are more likely to experience depression and anxiety, loss of mobility, and loss of quality of life. I like to say that I am a recovering nonprofit professional forced to reconnect with my former, more creative self to survive. I wrote this book entirely from what I playfully but genuinely refer to as my business couch. In June 2017, my legs fell out from under me, literally and figuratively, and life as I knew it was over. This book is my way of turning my mess into a message. If I can help even one person survive the demented carousel that is the American medical complex, help one person feel less alienated and hopeless my book will have served its purpose. If you'd like to know more about me and my journey, the book itself, or some of my other business ventures, you can go to www.nerdzillakelly.com slash book. That's nerdzillakelly.com slash book. Nerdzilla is spelled exactly how you imagine it, just like Godzilla, except for Nerdzilla on the front. Nerdzilla Kelly, K E L L Y dot com slash book. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to my little blurb and visit my website. Pre sales are up right now. Print and ebook distribution launches on June 1st of 2019. Thank you.